You are listening to CORE, a show on Code Zero Radio that plays bands located in the Fox Cities, a show to find and discover new music. Hosted by Andy McNamara. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Fox City's Core. If this is your first time tuning in, we are a live and interactive interview show. We're on live every Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. You can tune in and watch our shows on the Facebook page, on our Codes Your Radio Facebook page. You can see it on YouTube. Uh, we also have a great collection on our Codes Your Radio app as well as the Fox City's Core YouTube page. Really excited about today's show. I'm, I'm joined today by a special co-host. My co-host today has been in the Fox Cities music scene since the mid-90s. I'd like to introduce Ian Gilmore. Ian, how are you doing today? All right. And you're going to be a very important part of the show today. You're going to help me fill in the cracks, we'll see. questions that I might miss. <laughs> and it's uh, time to bring in our guest, uh, John Gilmore has been a part of the music scene since the 60s. He's released multiple albums under the Gilmore Brothers Band. He's also owned a music shop in college in Appleton on College Avenue, which I'm sure he's got just a lot of stories. We've got a lot of ground to cover in an hour. I'd like to welcome John Gilmore to Fox City's Core. How are you doing, John? I'm good, thanks. thanks. Fun, to, fun to be here. You know? It's cool. <laughs> thanks for doing this. And I know we talked before the show, you've, you did something similar last week for a sort of a project that's ongoing. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, we got a call uh, a month or two back, uh, the organization over in Southern Michigan who uh, heads up the Michigan Rock and Roll Legends History Museum and uh, does a podcast with all kinds of uh, music from Michigan. And uh, what the sort of theme of that was fun because uh, you know, being old timers and been around the scene for a long time, um, the kind of the theme of that interview was we had four of us together there in the studio who'd played together uh, over all together about almost 60 years uh, in different formations. And uh, and the, the kind of the theme of the thing was, you know, we, we went through the history of these different groups we'd played in and, and all the venues we'd played around the country and different things in Europe and stuff. And uh, that we, after all those years, we got back together after a long break uh, and, and and did a reunion concert with all of us together, including two others that were part of it, including my, my brother Greg. And... Uh, it was just when we got thinking about it, I said, that's really unique that you could spend your whole life playing off and on with these guys that are friends and stay friends, even though we literally went around the world. It, you know, I mean, my brother-in-law, Mike Yankee, who has always played with us since, um, you know, late 60s, is, I don't know how many states have they been in the our countries, 40, oh, 50 countries. You know, they've ridiculous. lived in yeah. a dozen <clears throat> countries. and. Yeah. And yet we were able to get back together, and for five straight uh, falls, every fall we got together and did a reunion concert back in Michigan, and which was a lot of fun. Ian was at a couple of those, and uh, you know, so that was kind of the 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 theme of the that people could, the kind of the tapestry of <laughs> you know of these lives, and and what music can can do like that. People stay close 
their whole life because of playing music together at different points, you know. Yeah, it's almost a band of brothers kind of. It, yeah, it thing, is. You know? It's hard to, you know, describe really, but, and it's funny now, at, 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 uh, as we gotten older, in fact, three of us got together and played golf about four times <laughs> earlier this <laughs> month over in Michigan. <laughs> so now we play golf. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're to that stage, you know. Yeah. So you you were in uh, before, uh, right when you started playing music, you were playing rock and roll music, or did you? No, originally, uh, I'm you know I'm old enough that I I I've considered a real blessing. I really feel fortunate I was born when I was, because I was around kind of for the whole history of literally the history of rock and roll and before it, you know. And uh, when I was young, there used to be a TV show some people know about called Ozzie and Harriet, and they had a son named Ricky Nelson. And uh, that really was the beginning of, really, of pop music, if you really think about it. Because here's this kid on the show who was just one of the characters on the show. And uh, he starts playing the guitar, and this is before anybody did that, really, you know. Yeah, so we're talking late 50s, like 58, somewhere in there, 59. And, you know, I'm a kid, 10 years old, 9, 10, probably 8 or 9 even, watching that. And and the way that the format of the show was great because they do the show as a little half hour, you know, sitcom. And at the end, he'd always be playing at the at the what they call the high school hop, you know, on the stage and all the chicks are one <laughs> and even at nine years old you're going, Yeah, that's that's it. This dude's got it. You know? So I you know, I wanted to learn to play the guitar. And so my parents bought me this little literally twelve dollar Sears guitar with a painting of Roy Rogers or somebody on the front. And I got lessons for about a year so I could figure it out enough and at that time what was happening in the music world was was folk music there were these things called hootenannies have you heard of those i have yeah and and uh were there were all these little duos and trios and quartets playing folk music you know and my i have an uncle who's just two years older than me and we started doing that just as kind of whatever and i was only 12 or 13 i think when we started and ended up playing at a whole bunch of these hoot dannies all over. And so that kind of was the, the start of it, you know, that whole scene. <laughs> and uh, and then I ended up continuing on. And, and so I, I think I was 15 or 16, and I had a friend. We played stuff together doing, again, mostly folk music kind of stuff. And we, I don't know how we came up with this idea, but we ended up going to Detroit, which is about 100 miles away from where we lived, and, and did a 45 recording at United Sound, which is this historic, you know, famous um, studio in Detroit where everybody in the history of music just about is recorded at one time. And, you know, so that just got us kind of hooked, and then we started playing it. Uh, that was when the coffee house thing was starting to happen for the first time, and and uh, folk music was the hot thing. And so that'd be about 1960 or so. And it just, one thing led to another. So we played all over Michigan doing little folk stuff, you know. And then uh, uh, then we decided we wanted to get a little heavier, so we, we put a 
band together that was real blues oriented, you know, kind of folky blues sort of stuff. So that was the zoo. The zoo they were called, and and uh, we did three forty fives <laughs> that were all radio play uh, records at all. Yeah, I've, I've described it to people kind of a Zeppelin kind of a feel, like heavy blues. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, ver- yep. You know, yeah, because what had happened was be- prior to that actually. Uh, another one of the <laughs> manifestations of us, we put together a jug band. Oh, that's right. I would have forgot about that. Yeah, and that yeah. that's uh, 1967, and that was it. My uncle and I had this idea to that'd be fun, and people don't know what a jug band is. You can <laughs> you can watch them on YouTube, but it's it's a form of blues, really. And uh, so, my friend Jigger, Tom Jurgens, and I, who'd done the folk music together, and my uncle put this together and uh, they brought in two other guys and one was Fred Reif and it's the first time I met Fred Reif and uh, this ended up being a whole career for him uh, his whole life and continues to be to this day because um, <laughs> you know you have these sort of crazy instruments you have a guitar and banjo and those kind of things but you know you play washboard you know that kind of because what it really is is an old traditional blues is yeah. what it was and and so fred rife who i didn't know very well but he's just this wonderful guy and now we're close like brothers over the years but uh i had rigged up a washboard with a bunch of junk on it you know kazoos and bells and whatever and handed it to fred and said you're the washboard player <laughs> you know and and i then i but here's the key i gave him um about i don't know four or five of my uh, old uh, lps of old blues traditional oh, the real right? stuff yeah and said go home listen to this this no, is kind of the idea and he came back to the next little practice session in a week or whatever it was and i wrote about it on the back of his second book uh, he was like transformed yeah like well, clearly <laughs> he was like he was bit he was hooked on the blues man and well, so much so that he's basically he's a blues historian now. oh he's written he's books he and, and he's traveled all over the world and uh i think he told me he went to to europe with blues artists that he would he'd find blues artists in fact i was with him with light and slim um finding him and and also i met went with him one time arthur gutner who was an old blues artist who wrote one of elvis's hits you know because these guys would get lost sure. they just you know they'd be sort of famous like lightning i know sold over ten thousand records in the in the what they call the race record world you know he was I mean, out of the south of course mm-hmm. but he was living in southern michigan and uh kind of been lost to the world there were a lot of guys like that yeah well obviously it was a totally different situation it's not you didn't have the internet to keep track of stuff like that it's like yeah and they were just going to disappear separate markets you know yeah. is that sort of thing and fred would go find these guys and get them back playing and get royalties for them and it's some hilarious great stories come out of that but one of the fun things that i remember is somewhere along this journey i decided to go to europe and bum around for a while mostly because my future wife Ian's mom, Deanna, <clears throat> was already traveling in Europe, and I was wanted to track her down if possible. <laughs> <laughs> and, but anyway, <clears throat> while we were over there, we were Deanna and I were actually in Amsterdam. And I get this letter from Fred, back when you had to write a letter, and uh, they were bringing 
Lightning Slim to do a tour of Europe, and they wanted to know if I'd come and blow a harmonica with them in England. And so that's how that happened on this at this big festival thing, which was really a fun experience, obviously. So, I mean, all these things happen, but it, all these are spinoffs from just these goofy, it's from funny. a jug band. Yeah. You know what, I mean? what was that festival? Which one was that? That was the one you said Floyd was at. And... Pink Floyd was on the bill. And the most interesting thing about it was that that's the, the concert that uh, Chuck Berry recorded My Dingling at, which was his biggest selling record ever. Uh, but it was like that. It was all, and, and historic people. Uh, I, you know, there were lectures by, what's his name, the guy who ran the club that the Stones played at first. Oh, uh, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about, but I don't know. Yeah, he, it was, you know, just that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, all these blues historian people and just and fred of course just became part of that world and is one of those guys he's written sure. books and traveled so far so anyway <laughs> you know he was one of the guys that was with us earlier this month in michigan for the that other podcast and and we had great stories because you know we had real adventures that fred and i in that jug band at one point actually ended up in jail because of one of our <laughs> gigs <laughs> Which is another whole, that's another episode. <laughs> so, John, when you're looking back, like that that concert, I mean, is it weird to look at pictures and, and just see like how just styles and all that have changed? Does it get you to feel kind of nostalgic? Do you wish you would have done things differently? Are you happy with how? Oh yeah, no, I feel so fortunate. <clears throat> You know, to, to have been any part of any of it. Well, you said you were, you felt like you were in the right place at the right time too, as far as the. Yeah, I mean, it was all exciting all the way through it. You know what I mean? When we started playing the folks, like Jigger and I, you know, we played a coffee house in our area there, and uh, one of, one of the times one weekend they brought in this woman who nobody really knew who she was much. But her, she'd just done an album. She wasn't famous yet, and that was Joni Mitchell. So we opened for Joni, you know. That, but that kind of stuff. I mean, this is we're so far back that Jigger and I went to see um, uh, Simon and Garfunkel, just the two of them, on a little stage in a little gymnasium of the YCA, and they'd just done their first record. And that was there's the famous line of it took me three days to hitchhike from Saginaw. That was then. That was that was Saginaw, and they left yeah. hitchhiking. Yes, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and so that bizarre. kind of stuff, you yeah. know. And you hear it on the radio. Hey, man, <laughs> <laughs> that's a movie there. You know? So a lot of that stuff. I we used to go to Toronto a lot, which was only about a four or five hour drive, and that was such a great center for music in those days too. And there are a lot of. So you just saw. You know, famous people. I mean, I I saw the Beatles in concert live. I saw the Stone in the one summer, '66. I saw the Beatles, and that was a week before their last yeah. concert. You know, and uh, saw the Stones that year when they, Brian Jones was still in the band, and I ironically saw him again. What was that three years ago? Yeah, two, two that was right. Yeah. So, <laughs> how many years that was between you know? But bands like that, I remember seeing the Animals, and they they would come through, and all this stuff that became history. Yeah, the Doors you saw. I remember you talking about. That. Oh yeah, the Doors. I I saw so many of them. And well, then being in the music business with my store, every year we'd go to the Nam show, and meet like these right. guys would just be walking around. You'd get to talk to them, and I had, I had a great conversation with John uh, Sebastian. 
one time at, at a trade show, I, I noticed him just sitting there by a booth. Yeah. <laughs> so I walked over, started talking. It was just me and another guy walked up, and he gets his guitar and he played Daydream for us. Sure. Was, oh. was, you know, was like, oh, it's so cool just to hear that coming out of that head, you know. Yeah. What I mean? <laughs> well, when we were there, we met Gene Simmons. You remember that? Oh yeah. yeah he was yeah. just walking around doing his thing. <laughs> yeah. It was like. I think that might have been the time either or two was I was looking at some keyboards and I looked at me and it was Garth Hudson open the band. I mean, yeah. they happened all the time. Yeah, and, and I think you might have been with me. We were walking through a crowd. I, I think you were with me. And I bump into this guy and we kind of look up and laugh and look at each other and it's Eddie Van Halen. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was the way those were. You know, you, they were just, I saw B.B. King play there several times. In fact, speaking of those other concerts, when I saw the, I saw a concert in Detroit was, was um, the Animals and um, what's his name? Yeah. Uh, um, eh. <laughs> anyway, the opening act was unheard of. Nobody paid any attention to him. BB King. Wow. You know, so that guy, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I didn't, nobody knew who he was. He was just, just you know, Herman's Hermits. That's oh, another okay. band. Was, so. <laughs> Yeah, so you saw BB King open for Herman's Hermits. Yeah, 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 that yeah. <laughs> that's what I mean. I felt so fortunate, you know. And then we played, you know, with a lot of these. We played Summerfest. I just saw a thing of that. I'd forgotten about it. Nineteen eighty, and and I looked, and on at the same time we were playing on the folk stage, at the same time I could see Metallica was playing sure. there and ricky nelson was playing another <laughs> that's how long ago that was wow really yeah holy cow yeah Man, that's crazy yeah i mean so i mean you live through all these kind of generations of music almost you know they start yeah stacking on top of each other yeah so i like to answer your question i just feel real fortunate to have seen it all of it or seen any of it right you know what i mean yeah that's really pretty cool yeah <laughs> <laughs> um John, this is a popular segment in the show called Band Reaction, where we play a clip from a previous guest and we get your reaction. Uh, this clip is of Frank Anderson, who is the, the guy that runs uh, Wisconsinology, and he also has been in a lot of uh, projects for quite a while. Uh, let's play it and see what you think. Band Reaction. Reaction. When I was young, a teenager playing 200 nights a year, some of the best bands and signed bands who had record label deals were from the Fox Valley. You know, there was uh, Soup, there was uh, uh, the, the White Duck, country rock band from Fond du Lac, and some of the best vocalists. Uh, were always from the Fox Valley. They had a lively scene up here. Um, and we were frightened of them because they always had such good singers. Uh, flash forward. Um, it's just nothing but cover bands when I arrive. It's it's Vic Ferrari land. And Vic Ferrari's the king of Vic Ferrari-dom. And no, no slight on that. I mean... The first, you want to hear the first sentence I ever heard in my life in Appleton, Wisconsin. I was here. We're looking for a home. I was getting a coffee. A woman in front of me, you know, I saw Vic Ferrari last night. <laughs> and I'm listening. I don't know what a Vic Ferrari is. And she goes, you know, 
if you close your eyes, he, they sound just like that Elton John record I got. <laughs> I thought, holy shit. And thank God, original music came in the form of Corey Chisel. Uh, that was a, an explosion of fresh air, and it changed the scene completely, totally. And now we have people writing their own songs. Great. Just write some rockers, people. <laughs> so that was Frank Anderson. Um, that, what's your reaction as far as his opinion on the the Fox City scene? Uh, yeah, well, I agree. And, and when I, we moved here, um, that was the soup, soup had, come and gone kind of or adjust you know what i mean and uh but it was fun catching up on all the stuff that here and, and you know there's always been such a great atmosphere here you know for whatever reason and it was radically different from where we came from in michigan you know to totally different culture the culture of the, that area because of the automobile industry was real southern actually in its core because um, people came Still up is. in the south to work in the <clears throat> factories and, and that came with it. So there was a lot more country, a lot more blues here. But it was refreshing, dude. <laughs> but I tell you, when we started playing, the Gilmore Brothers member came here and we were playing Irish music. Well, this isn't exactly little Dublin here, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not just Irish music, too. It's worth noting. So their live show was high energy, and, and in particular, Greg... My brother Greg, yeah. Is, he, I, mean, what do you, I mean, he's an instigator, really, is yeah. what he is. Like oh, he's, yeah. he's, I mean, he does it intentionally. He's, he did this with other, other groups as well that they, that they played in together. But he stirs up the crowd oh, yeah. intentionally. You in know. a good way, with humor. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, right, yeah, yeah. yeah. But he's he's very very good at it at working yeah. a crowd. Oh, However, yeah. here, <laughs> yeah, sometimes we just get stares. <laughs> or, you know, back in Michigan, they'd be dancing on the table. Right. People be going, what is that? But everybody wasn't so nice. You know, it, was, uh, it it took a while just to make the adjustments, and we learned how to play to this crowd. You know, well, you know, Frank mentioned something in there. He mentioned good voices, and that's one thing that stands out to me with the Gilmore Brothers is you guys sing beautifully together you, you've all got great voices and it's yeah, it was it, we could they blended good and we you know yeah it worked out all right mike yankee was by far <laughs> the best vocalist yeah. you know i mean he really has a head and has a beautiful voice and he's remained he's continued to record and do things out east and stayed and he did even when he was traveling. He, they, he and his wife went to work in the State Department for years and lived all over the world. And he still kept his hand. And he's always been a songwriter, lit, hundreds of songs literally, and ha has contacts. He's constantly sending information into Nashville to these guys that pitch him to the stars and that kind of. So it's cool, yeah. But yeah, the <laughs> Gilmore Brothers. I mean, the the funniest thing about the Gilmore Brothers is it was a fluke to start with. It was, oh, I forgot about that. It was totally a fluke. We never meant to do it. Nobody considered it. I mean, if you want to know how it happened, I can tell you. Because when we came here, it was well established. We'd already had two albums, I think, and played all around the country and stuff. But what happened was uh, <laughs> we, we, my brother Greg, who 
Ian mentioned is kind of a character, to put it mildly. Well, he used to do this thing at parties he called Eddie and the Eatouts, <laughs> which was kind of a shanana, kind of, you know, like a 50s, they'd grease down and look yeah, real they, they look like characters grubby. from, from uh, you know, from uh, the outsiders, basically. Yeah. Know, like, yeah, yeah. Streeter, I mean, really <clears throat> dirtbags, you know. Yep. <laughs> and, I mean, you always have his cigarettes rolled up in his sleeve, you know, that kind of right, thing. Right, they'd say he was fresh from prison kind of thing yeah yeah oh yeah there's yeah. pictures of me had pictures with yeah, the numbers with, with under the, yeah, with the prison and yeah. and so he would do this at parties well one time somebody asked him him this guy that he used to originally did it with and that the guy he did it with couldn't do it so he called up mike right. my brother-in-law yaki and want to know if he wanted to come and be the Edouts, because it was Eddie and the Edouts. <laughs> and he'd always introduce us like, hey, I'm Eddie. <laughs> We're Eddie and the Edouts. I'm Eddie. <laughs> so you gathered he was the Edouts. <laughs> and, and anyway, so there, like, flash forward a month or two, whatever it was, and I had some friends playing at a Holiday Inn, a, a couple. And they they were regular folk musicians, played all over the state at the Holiday Inns, that kind of stuff. And I got up and sat in with them this one Saturday night or whatever it was. And Greg and Mike were in the audience, just sitting watching, right? You were sitting in with Eddie and No, just sitting in the audience, just oh. them. <clears throat> but the guy I was playing with had seen them okay. do the party. Okay. <laughs> so, so he says, we have some celebrities in the audience. And... He, he egged him to come up. Okay. So they they what they did right then they took their combs and stuck it in their beer and greased and <laughs> combed their hair back and you know rolled sure. their sleeves up and yeah. and went up and and did this bit you know and it was it was pretty intense. I mean it was, it was gross some of it, <laughs> but really funny. Yeah. And it was it was a small bar like sixty people or something, but unbeknownst to us, the owner of the Holiday Inn was sitting in the back. Okay. <laughs> so he gets word and and gets a meeting and and this I didn't know about this part but they set a meeting for I think it was the next day or Sunday that whatever it was. And for Greg and Mike to go meet this guy. Now if, if you want two people to do a business deal, <laughs> these are the last two people on earth. You want to <laughs> Am I kidding? Oh. Oh. I'm so, Yeah. So anyway, so they go, and the guy says, hey, you guys are really funny, you know, da, 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 whatever. He said, you know, how much do you charge? And Mike off top of his head says a figure about twice what my friends were getting for a week. <laughs> and the guy says, oh, can you start Tuesday? And, and they say, sure. Yeah. So they, I come back and call me and say, hey, we got a gig. I said, what do you mean we got a gig? Yeah, man. Five nights a week at the Holiday Inn. We got to do four sets a night. You know, so we just got busy the next day trying to figure out, okay, how can we do this four sets? You know, and it was like started at seven. And, and, and so we figured, here's what we did. We figured one set could be Eddie and the Eatouts. It would be like different shows kind of, right? right? And and we we figured, hey, we know a bunch of these old Irish songs that we used to listen to on my dad playing on a record player when we were kids and we we could kind of put together an irish set and then uh the the beginning we could mike and i could do a bunch of just the normal holiday sure. and, you know 
smoothie, you know, folk music stuff. And then the fourth set didn't matter because everybody's so drunk, right. <laughs> you could play everything over again and nobody knew the difference. <laughs> right. and, but the problem was, I the, literally the same month, this is ironic, I had opened my store in Michigan. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, the same month. And so I couldn't do it the week, so I just went on the weekends. So these two yahoos had to figure out how to, you know. So they worked up all this old 50s stuff for the Eddie Nito thing. And that, of course, became the focal point. Right. They got famous, you know. And the newspaper started oh, to cover there's it. all kinds of articles about that. Oh, man. It was on the marquee, Eddie and the Eatouts yeah. right? in the lounge. <laughs> <laughs> it was unbelievable, yeah. you know. So it it became infamous, um, and then so that we played. They booked us for two weeks there, right? And we stayed seventeen weeks, and then got booked at this ski resort for about six weeks. And while we were at the ski resort, there was this cute couple that used to come every night just to hear the Irish set. Okay. Right, and they'd they'd put Irish sweaters on this husband and wife, was, you know, <laughs> and because they liked the Irish songs, sure. right? Yeah. And after one of the nights, after they pulled me aside, and they said, "We got this friend who's uh, got a big restaurant in Saginaw, which was well known. I knew the restaurant. Uh, they had several of them, a chain, really, named Sullivan's. Irish people, obviously." He said, "And they they're building a big new restaurant." on the main drag out there and they they were talking about having live music because you got and he says to me could you do a whole night of irish music i said sure which <laughs> <laughs> we couldn't you know we were struggling to get a set together yeah. you know? and uh and so they we went over there and actually did an audition and they of course were real into it and so we started doing that and that's really what launched it everybody then in the whole saginaw valley and that whole area of michigan knew about it and and we did that for a couple, well, couple of years. Yeah. Well, and, and kept doing it here. Well, and, and a guy, Frank Starkweather, got interested in us. He used to come all the time watch it. And he put together, so we ended up going to Detroit and do the first album. And then and my connections with guys I know knew in, down in Detroit, they were distributed nationwide. That even went into Europe. And then we did the second one uh, two years later. And right, right when we did the second album is when all of a sudden this whole thing with Wisconsin popped up. Because, uh, to be honest, I'd never heard of Appleton, Wisconsin <laughs> <laughs> at that point. You know, I mean, I knew Wisconsin a little bit, but I, I didn't know anything about Appleton. And uh, a, a close friend uh, who, who I'd worked for his dad, and we knew each other through music, too. He, was, he, was a, he sold records to my store. He said he was moving to Appleton, Wisconsin because they were going to, he was going to work with Gabe Eglund, people know that name possibly, <clears throat> who built Beggar's Tune. And they had all this, you know, their plans to build this cool solar-powered, neat building for the record store. And, and you know, and I thought, oh, that's neat, you know. And he, so he's just telling me he's going to go there, you know. I didn't think anything about that. Uh, and, but I did say, just off the cuff, and I don't even know why I said it, I wouldn't even remember I said it except for what happened, but I said, well, because because my friend Bill says in this new store, when they build it, they're going to sell instruments too. And I said, well, I'll tell them to make me an offer. I'll come over and run it for them. You know, oh, just, okay. just sure, drop the cuff. And it wouldn't even, I wasn't even serious, you know what I mean? Right. Anyway, he comes back through our area about maybe 
month or six weeks later and says, hey, I talked to that guy. He said he'd be interested in having you being part of the building. Okay. And I said, no, I was just kidding, man. I don't, you know, <laughs> I'm not, you know. Because our family had been in that where we lived for over 100 years. And, you know, I mean, we were well entrenched. <laughs> yeah. But at about the same time, a month or two later, <clears throat> the Gilmore brothers were asked to play in Chicago uh, for a, like a trade show for, for um, record labels, all the independent labels, you know, Rounder and all those sure, kind of yeah. independent labels at the time came and, and they wanted us to showcase, perform, you know. <clears throat> so we did that. We were there for that weekend. And I remember it was Sunday afternoon. We were sitting around a table. It's like a trade show, right? And we've done the concert and everything. And we're sitting there and this guy walks in, Gabe Eglin, with blueprints <laughs> and he walks up and he puts them on the table and rolls them out and he starts showing how they've redesigned the building to put us in it no kidding <laughs> i'm going uh <laughs> <laughs> hey that's wow <laughs> say what uh that was the building that became the wooden nickel right it was... yeah it's the wooden nickel now yeah we built that so that's the other irony but anyway so just to appease him really Deanna and I said, well, hey, we'll come over and see I see Appleton and whatever. Because we thought, oh, it'd be neat to take a drive through the UP and sure. come over and, you know. But we weren't thinking of coming, really, you know. So we did. And uh, and it was great. And it was, it was a great weekend, too, because it happened to be, there was a concert at the uh, chapel with Doc Watson. Oh, wow. <laughs> Which is really awesome for to see, you know, and and you know, Appleton's just such a wonderful place, you know, and it's kind of like idyllic for us. It's like this place looks like a movie set here, you know yeah. what I mean? And uh, coming from places in southern Michigan, it can be a little rougher, you know. But anyway, we stayed and and that we, but we didn't. We talked to him. We stayed a couple of days and headed back and didn't think that much of it. But we just thought, you know, I was I was really about praying about things all the time and i just thought well hey this is weird we, we don't have any way to stay alive in the meantime but hey if we're supposed to do it stuff will happen so deanna called she she was working at the time for michigan bell telephone she called over here into wisconsin and said is there any way the transfers or anything they said no we don't have enough jobs for people here you know so that was that and we owned a five-unit apartment house that we had our store in. It was big old, you know, Victorian kind of house. So, I mean, we were really entrenched there. But uh, we were open to it. And in the meantime, the Gilmer Brothers were doing gigs at festivals and traveling around and doing things too, you know, besides the store. Anyway, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Deanna gets a call from Wisconsin Telephone and says, you still looking for work? And she said, well, maybe. She said, well, we've got something, da-da-da. Uh, can you start? I think it was. Can you start Tuesday? Oh, really? I this was like that. on Friday. <clears throat> <laughs> and the irony was, we were playing a gig in uh, Lafayette, Indiana, down at Purdue University, a big festival down there that weekend. The Gilmore Brothers were. So we went down and performed, and Deanna came with us, and and then we went back home after the gig. And she took a bus by herself to Appleton. Oh wow, I didn't know. And that. found a house and rented it. Wow. And lived here six weeks by herself, going to work, while I was trying to pull things together. Like, oh, I guess we're 
I guess at least one of us is moving to Wisconsin. Right? So I, you know, to sell the house and, I, sure. and that, you know, it was a major undertaking. In the meantime, we were still doing gigs, and ironic as it turned out, we, we the Gilmore Brothers were asked to play at uh, what is actually the largest music festival in Canada, <clears throat> something called the Festival of Friends. It's done for years and years and years. And we were the only American act inv invited, so that was kind of cool. Oh, that's really cool. <clears throat> and it's down by Hamilton, Ontario, kind of towards Niagara Falls in that area. And and uh, so we went and did that gig and, uh, and then came back directly to Wisconsin. So I went oh, from that gig that. to here. <laughs> yeah. Wow. But when I get here, there's no store. Okay. <laughs> it's a hole in the ground, literally a hole in the ground. What used to be whatever they demolished. Yep. And, they were, and so I got a job, and I had no money. I was so broke. I remember the guys that stopped in Jim's Bar on college, you know, a well-known old place there. A beer was a quarter. Wow. <laughs> but I couldn't afford one. <laughs> Seriously. You know. <clears throat> so I gave some guitar lessons and stuff to make a little bit of money, but I was working on building the building. And we literally built, because we were the lower level. I mean, it was, we had a dirt floor and that was it. And my friend Rick Young, who you know, Ian, came and stayed with us and we built the store. And, and then that opened and that was a raving success you know <laughs> and then a couple of years later uh there were some changes and gabe wanted to do something else with the downstairs and so we uh ended up uh ended up where we ultimately ended up uh, down on college avenue the other end and uh, we rebuilt that building uh and and that what we did while mom was pregnant with your sister <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, you know, the stuff you do when you're young, though, you just yeah, whatever. Because you know, before all that, Deanna and I had—I mean, I'd hitchhiked all over the United States. Deanna had traveled and spent a year in Europe, bumming around. You know, we—you just did that stuff she in lived those in days. New Mexico too, right? Huh? She lived in New Mexico too. Right? Yeah, the first time. Well, she left high after high school. She left four or five days after high school, moved to New Mexico to work with horses down yeah. there, and so I ended up hitchhiking down there with a friend from Michigan to New Mexico and spent some time with her there and then another time my brother Greg and I drove down there while she was there that summer and and then she, she came back with us but I mean you just did stuff like that I went the first time I went to Europe we hitchhiked in New York <laughs> to, the, to, to the airport you know what I mean that kind of thing <laughs> You, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. I wouldn't do that now if you held a gun to my head. But, yeah. you know, but, you know, those that those days you, you could do that stuff. Because I, I went to Europe with my guitar and 150 bucks and stayed half a year. Wow. <laughs> so you can imagine what kind of trip that was. We, we had a, a comment here from Chuck Martin. Uh, says that back in the early 80s, your dad found them a Kalamazoo acoustic guitar and someone had slapped a bridge on it and it was screwed on on each end. They took it to the Gilmore Brothers store and they researched Kalamazoo bridges, mm. built and replaced the bridge, and that guitar is still their favorite to play to this day. Oh, cool. That's awesome. Well, that'd be Oz. Yeah, that'd be Oz. Yeah, uh, Bob Osman, who was a great repairman. And after after the store, what, what happened with the store? We ran it for all those years. 
and uh, I was in it 20 years. And and then Paul Hyde, my friend Paul Hyde, made an offer just to buy it, and uh, we decided to sell it. And, they, and it was interesting; they kept the name, didn't change anything for five years. Yeah, was real smart because it was a very successful ongoing business, you know. Do you still hear from a lot of people that used to go to the store that have stories and? Yeah, all the time, you know. There so were kids, I. and now they're old. And <laughs> every, every time somebody hears my last name, <laughs> I was I was once in, in a bathroom in Boston. <laughs> this is how crazy this is, and I'm in a urinal, standing next to a guy, and we just small talk. I don't know how it came up. Hey, I bought a guitar from your store. <laughs> you got a well, that kind of stuff happened all the time. I remember when we were in Florida, in um, we went we went down to go to Disney World, and we're walking down the street, and some guy across the street goes, "Hey, John!" <laughs> waves right? at us like this, and he does not just totally unfazed. You're like, "Oh, hey!" And I'm like, "Who the hell was that?" I'm like, what do you mean? And he says, "He's like, oh, he used to come into the store, you know, from time to time." Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like in Florida, happened all the time. Well, that was the fun of the store. It was just, you know, it was a neat environment, and it was like that. It was, you know. Oh yeah, it was. It was nothing like that. So I, I have no idea the impact that could have had on you, because I, you know, a lot of kids after something like that they they'd want to be never near it you know, <laughs> right. you know how many kids sure, sure. don't want to do whatever my dad did kind yep. of thing you know because we didn't push you into not music at all no at not all, even a little know. bit oh. and, well other than piano lessons but yeah not not really though yeah <laughs> that was my mother <laughs> so john when you started taking on an instrument are you self-taught or did you take lessons i took lessons when i was nine years old for a year so I knew basic stuff. And then I got real, again, this is the folk music days, right? So I, I got real interested in uh, bands like the Kingston Trio and these kind of bands. And I just wore out the albums and figured out how to do stuff. And then as I got around places, <clears throat> you know, I'd meet guys. I used to go, I don't know if you know who Tom Rush is, but he's, you know, he's a legend and in the folk and blues world <clears throat> when he used to come to detroit i would we'd drive down to detroit to this coffee house he used to play at and i would before i'd go i'd take a notebook and make draw empty you know like like fretboards and then sit this close <laughs> closer even and because <laughs> he did a lot of open tunings which you didn't see that that much and so I learned open tunings and slide guitar and all that kind of stuff. But I was always doing that kind of thing from anybody I could learn from. And then and there was this coffee house that I mentioned that uh, had it open in Saginaw where people like Joni Mitchell and these people came through. In fact, her husband, she was still married to Chuck Mitchell at that time because Mitchell's that's her married name. Most people don't know that. And he lives in Wisconsin here. He's, he always has. And uh, he taught me a lot of stuff because he was a real good ragtime style player but you just you know you how it is you pick up stuff from everybody you could so it was it was mostly self-taught after after nine <laughs> <laughs> well it's also worth noting it's not just guitar either i mean you, you can play a lot of instruments yeah i, I yeah then i taught myself mandolin next because it was not that much different and then i taught myself banjo which was different but it got and then i taught and i learned i played bagpipes and you know just got into fiddle and fiddle, I, yeah, <laughs> fiddle, yeah. That's pretty much it. 
well, yeah. I mean, but that worked good with the Gilmore Brothers because I was always playing some odd, you know, fill and whatever you needed. I could do it pretty much, you know. Well, the Gilmore Brothers had a public access TV show for a while at mm. the Paper Valley Hotel. How did how did that whole project get started? At the time, I'm sure that was. Yeah, that was some new stuff. Man. <laughs> it was cable TV, you know, when cable TV was happening. And uh, we originally did it, the first show or two we did actually in the cable studio, I remember. And then we moved it into Trader John's, into the back of the yeah. the store. And uh, and then we ended up going, as you mentioned, to the, the hotel and did them every week, and we brought guests in. It was always guests, and a lot of well-known people, you know. Um, was were the tapes saved, or are there? Yeah, there are videos. <laughs> we're talking video days, you know. <laughs> but yeah, there's yes, yeah, some, some great shows. It was fun stuff because we hosted it, and then and sometimes we'd play too. But it wasn't just us; it was whoever brought in, you know. So back in the the mid '80s, early '80s, when that was going on. What opportunities for live performances were there in Appleton? That's a good question. You know, I don't remember there being a lot. Oktoberfest was probably, yeah. I think, already going. But besides oh, yeah. Oktoberfest. Yeah, and what's the one in the spring in, at Memorial? Uh, they always did it, Lawrence. Um, Scappleton? <laughs> no, it was a big thing. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah, we got asked to do a lot of those kind of things all around. You know, not just here in Wisconsin even, but... So, I mean, we kept as busy as we wanted to be. And then <clears throat> somewhere along in there, um, I met a gal named Kim Robertson. I, I decided to take a couple courses in my spare time at UW Oshkosh and, and uh, met her, and who's a phenomenal harp player and now is a world-renowned harp player. Uh, in fact, she's, she's on my uh, Pandora all the time, I hear her on there. Uh, but she was from Oshkosh, and we got together, two of us, and picked, and, and then she ended up playing. We ended up actually calling ourselves when she'd be with us, Clan Gilmore, and uh, we performed at several TV shows and say, big concerts. And there's still videos of her playing with you guys. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. We did one fun concert I always remember was a guy named Steve Goodman, who, again, is well-known in the folk world. He wrote the city of New Orleans and some other okay. famous songs, and who died young. <clears throat> and uh, about a year or so before he died, we did a concert, just us and him, at the um, um, Lawrence Chapel. And that was a neat experience. And one of the things I remember was because of his illness, I think it was leukemia he was dying from. <clears throat> After the between sets, he'd go back and smoke a couple of joints you know because sure. it was legal for him to do it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know but uh, you know do we had all we played with so many people over the years because we play an irish fest and a lot of people don't know this you know irish fest in milwaukee has always been and probably still is i assume the largest irish uh festival in the world and so because we did that, we, we played there the first year and, and four of the first six years. In fact, our third album was recorded live there. And uh, so we got to play with all the, you know, the legends and heroes of that scene. You know, so it was, it was just, the whole thing was such a great experience, because we, especially when we do festivals, because we'd meet all these famous people and get to know them and hang out with them and they were you know everybody's nice <laughs> you know what i mean they're all normal <laughs> they're just famous 
<laughs> you know. In fact, when I not speaking of that, I remember uh, when I I went to New York City. I decided to move to New York City at one point, right? Uh, and, and and this is even crazier than what I did in Europe. This is before. This is the year before I went to Europe. I with I went to New York City with forty bucks, <laughs> <laughs> which now would probably be one hundred and fifty, but right. it still wouldn't be. <laughs> and I and I had stayed. I got an apartment down in the worst neighborhood in New York, even worse than Harlem. Uh, the Lower East Side at that time, <clears throat> and got a job working at a restaurant bar in, in uh, Greenwich Village, and it was just to be around that scene because I was an art guy too, you know. So I was I was always doing art stuff too, but uh, I remember one I, I went to I went I went to the Gaslight, you know, which was famous and that's Dylan and all everybody had played there, you know, five or six years before, and. Uh, uh, saw John Hammond, who's a favorite of mine, blues artist. And the opening act was this gal. Nobody knew who she was except some of the locals named Bonnie Raitt. <laughs> and so she came in the, my, where I worked and after and would visit and stuff, you know. And it was really funny because then I went to Europe that winter and I came back from Europe and I went to Fred's, my friend Fred Reif had a music store, a record store. And here he's got this, here's an album, Bonnie Raitt. And it was, hey, I know her. That's cool. She did an album. You know I mean? So it's just, again, the fun of living through all those, you know, eras kind of, you know, and seeing the stuff we saw. It was just incredible. We got to see, because of my connection with Fred, the Ann Arbor Blues Festival was a huge festival. And, uh, we got we were backstage all the time because of Lightning Slim that I'd played with and and uh, you know got to hang around visit with all these just you know the legends and uh, one of the coolest things I remember is Miles Davis showed up, <laughs> which he was a piece of work. I tell you, it was really interesting. <laughs> I mean, it was like you know it was interesting, but you know just to be in that environment was just sure. fun, obviously, right? Yeah. You know, so yeah. Coolest man alive, right? That's what he was called. He was pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> and he had a couple of sweet little dollies on each arm. To, I thought so too. <laughs> you uh, you brought in some memorabilia there, John. What, what, well, what did I you did have that there? to jog myself. We're talking about so many years, you know. And uh, oh, there was this was a feature article that was done on the on the zoo. I forgot about this. I was digging through stuff uh, back. This is '69. And then they did a feature article in this paper, and oh, there's with Kim, there's Kim, there. Kim Robertson. Yeah, I don't know what camera you're on here, but definitely. that was recorded or filmed, taken in Appleton downtown there, right by the bridge. Oh, is that what that was? Yeah, that house. What's that house? As you're going to, from College Avenue, cross the bridge. Oh, I didn't. The house on the that. left. I there. always thought this was in oh. Europe somewhere. Uh, it looks like it. That's yeah. the way we did it. Yeah, that uh, would be cool to recreate that picture. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You can be Kim Roberts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and the, like I for some reason the, the paper did these features on us. This one was the View magazine on there. Here's the all, whole bunch that came, and and there's Ian right there. You can tell. Wow. You can tell. Oh, yeah. him, you know? Definitely. <laughs> I got the same look on my yeah, face. He, <laughs> I don't know if he's got those shorts anymore. Right <laughs> Yeah, and here's another one that was done, a similar thing where they, you know, people found it interesting that we were crazy enough to move and do what we did, I guess, you know. So did you see, like, far enough ahead where you 
actively like saved memorabilia or is there just a lot of stuff that you wish you would have like flyers and stuff like that that you wished you would have saved i saved some but yeah there's always stuff when you think back because you can't even remember it all you yeah know what i mean that's that's why i dug some of this out it's like oh yeah we did that oh i forgot we did that <laughs> you know and ian is this going to be stuff that you're going to hopefully one day like pass down to your son this stuff yeah apparently <laughs> <laughs> he ain't gonna want this junk <laughs> yeah that's a problem with memorabilia oh here's one check this out talking about the zoo there's oh, a yeah. zoo poster man check that's that out cool. huh? oh that's cool that's super cool <laughs> and, and deanna's even in this one see yeah. there she is so so growing up in that environment ian like your your dad had all these you know experiences and and you got into music eventually yeah um was that something were you interested in what your dad went through before that point or were you just sort of brushing it off maybe you didn't know that i I don't think it was a question of brushing it off i think it was it was such a um it was just so normal it was such a part (laughs) of my life that like i didn't even really occur to me that 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 wasn't normal so like you know um you know nathan my cousin uh nathan and um my sister and his sister and uh, the Millers, we were, we were just there, you know what I mean? Yeah, like it's we your were, life. Exactly. So mm-hmm. we, we were always seeing you guys play live. We were always in um, the store, you know, Trader John's and, and um, you know, Pilgrim's Cafe and all that stuff. So mm. it was just normal to us. <clears throat> now, as far as playing music, I really don't think, and I, 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 you know, you and I touched on this a little bit when you and I sat down and did this before, but I don't think I was really um, in, interested in in performing music until it was until it was the grunge thing. Like that was mm-hmm. that's what made it accessible to me. You know what I mean? Because like I, as far as I was concerned, watching them play was amazing, and that's I enjoyed doing that. But I don't think I, I don't. I, I could correct me if I'm wrong. But I don't think I ever was like, oh, hey, I want to do that. Huh. Huh. I don't remember doing that. No, and we never, <clears throat> with you or Anna either, pushed. Not at all. You no. Know, our our approach to to parenting was we just wanted to expose kids to things, and Anna's a good example. Oh yeah. <clears throat> Anna was riding locally. Uh, she's an equestrian, you know. She but she was just doing the county fairs kind of stuff, and so in 1996 we took her to the Olympics when they were in Atlanta, so she could see. There's more to this than you know the. The guys playing cards around the barn at the right. county fair, you know what I mean? And uh, so she saw dressage, you know, on a, the highest level there is, obviously, the Olympics. And, and I, in fact, it was ironic. About five years later, I found the program from that, and I started looking down through it. And by that point, five years later, she was friends with a whole bunch oh, of those sure. people yeah. that were competing. You know? So. Sure. But she wouldn't have known that. And it was the same with you. We just wanted you guys to experience stuff. Sure. And then whatever you wanted to do or not do with it, that was up to you, you know. Yeah. But he started playing the guitar, taught himself. I didn't. No. I, <laughs> I had nothing to do with I, it. I, yeah. I, know, I, I mentioned that, too. It's kind of annoying, actually. Uh, yeah. But, no, I mean, it's basically the same thing you did. You just kind of you find something you're interested in, and then you start yeah. doing it. I mean, it's not dissimilar. I mean, because, you know, the, the 90s was actually, I think, probably the closest thing to the 60s. Yep, as it far was. As the music, it for sure you know. was. So, like, when you saw, all of a sudden, it was like, you know, we. I mean, for us, it was Nirvana, and back then, it was the Beatles. It was like, it, it made music accessible. It tricks you into thinking you can write uh-huh. those songs easily, you know? Yeah, and, because, you know, <clears throat> before the Beatles, 
uh, no bands wrote their songs. Yeah, except for was it Buddy Holly? I think was the only. Well, one. there was a couple, but yeah, nobody but, that made any difference, even, right? Because Holly wasn't even yeah the household name really. You know right. I mean, not like the Beatles. Oh, nothing was like them. No, I mean that's that's yeah. And then, I mean before that, there were songwriters. Right. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> songwriters and entertainers like yeah. Elvis was just a enter- well, yeah. he's a performer more or less, right. and yeah. not really a writer. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So the Beatles really changed that, and then of course. Well, it started with the Folkies. Yep. And that, because they were starting to do that. There were songwriter folkies, you know, and and Dylan, of course. Yeah, that's, yeah. But he didn't get famous until Peter Paul and Mary recorded him. Right. You know, he did been around for two three years. But anyway, yeah, the Beatles are like that changed everything. Yeah, and then of course it, it was a similar thing when Nirvana rolled around. It was mm-hmm. just like they took. They kind of took brought it back. Almost. Yeah, they did. Well, you know? and it's kind of interesting when you when you really dig into that. Not to go on a whole tangent, but like there's a reason for that. So like they were into the Beatles. Like they were mm-hmm. really into the Beatles. Um, and most bands weren't. It wasn't cool to be into the Beatles at that point. You know, like you had these the hair rock guys and the glam rock, and, and and that's its own thing. And they're phenomenal musicians. Um, but it's not for mm-hmm. me anyway. It wasn't accessible. It, it didn't make me think, oh, I can do that. You know what I mean? And sure, so that's right. the kind of thing it was. You couldn't. So. <laughs> Right. Well, yeah. Right. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, it had gotten so developed the music scene, and there was all not breaking into. You know, there were all these different genres, and right. And yeah, the 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 grunge brought it back to hey, a bunch of guys can get together in the living room and jam, and it's cool, and we sound good. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, is there any Gilmore Brothers performances coming up? Anything on the books? I don't think so. Uh, We talk. We did for five years. We did these reunion concerts which really were fun over in michigan <clears throat> and then and the last one was 19 and so then covid you know we didn't do one obviously i, I it's funny you say that i got a text from my brother greg <clears throat> saying about a week ago he's saying maybe we should do a concert a reunion concert again in michigan <laughs> and then there's a kind of a pause in the text he says or maybe that's just the scotch talking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it was. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah. Well, there, uh, but it is fun, though. I mean, and you, I'll tell you, so I have live recordings of those, of some of those. You can't believe how good, it blew my mind how good you guys sounded. I mean, that, seriously, that was, that freaked we, me we, out. We were pretty rusty, though. But Yeah, yeah. but that, yeah, but not really, though. <clears throat> I mean, like, because you hadn't played in what? How long? 20, 20 years. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Twenty five years. It was ridiculous. Like how good they still sounded was. <laughs> I mean, other than the fact that Greg lost his voice, you know, two songs in, but that'll happen. <laughs> um, but no, it was it was really incredible. I mean, just seeing how tight you guys still were with that stuff, and then you also were adding in. You know, yeah. like Jigger was playing on the washed up bass and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and even my brother Dave came back That's from right. Africa and. Played. Yeah. Who's an <laughs> ambassador, by the way? Yeah, he's a U.S. ambassador. <laughs> yeah. Which is weird. No, the, those were really fun, and, and the crowds came out that hadn't seen us in years, and that was fun. And yeah, and it was. I got to see that firsthand. See, I was too little to know. You would always talk about the crowds in Michigan versus the crowds here. Oh, the difference? Yeah, and that, I had not seen that. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, and it is a stark difference. It was, <laughs> yeah. it was pretty cool. Like, people that were like, people were just freaking out. You know? Like, they just loved it because they remembered it. You know, it was like, yeah. like people kept coming up to me, oh, I used to see this all the time. You know, was like, <laughs> I was like, that's cool. I wasn't born. You know? <laughs> How about the Gilmore Brothers making a uh, 
triumphant appearance at the Irish Fest of the Fox Cities this year. They offered us. <clears throat> they tried to get us to do it, <clears throat> but my brother Greg wasn't quite ready. He's so. the type. He's the hot, yeah. tough one. Yeah. You never know. You never know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So you're saying there's a chance? It's anything's possible. I mean, it was a fluke to start with, right? Because you know, the only reason we became an Irish band because it was an Irish restaurant. And we always laughed. We said if it had been a Lithuanian restaurant, we'd be a Lithuanian band today. Because yeah. <laughs> right, said, yeah. can you do a whole night of that? I was, sure. Yeah, sure. You know? I'll figure that out. Lithuanian but, uh... music? Yeah, we can do that. <laughs> are you a, are you a fan of the uh, the punky Irish bands like the Dropkick Murphys and that kind yeah, of? Yeah, I mean, I'd have kept up on it, but sure, you know, I mean, it's always fun to see people diversify and do fun stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned at the top of the show, the kind of the documentary that that will be coming out. Any idea when people can view that and where they'll be able to see it? The one we did in Michigan? Yes. Uh, they, They said this fall, I thought, September. And it'll be on... Facebook and wherever else you know it's, it's a I'm trying to think the the Michigan history Michigan music history podcast I think it's called and uh, yeah, that'll be cool to you'll see. find it yeah, yeah it should be yeah, I, I don't know it'd be fun for us to hear what we actually say yeah, yeah sure <laughs> <laughs> always is yeah, I mean because you know you get up on these stories and you know because we had a few well yeah there's so many rabbit holes to go down when you oh, got man. that many no because Fred Fred and I, the one time, he, he said to me, hey, I'm going down to find Lightning Slim <laughs> in Pontiac, Michigan, and we got in the middle of a fight Yeah. with guns <laughs> and knives. I, I mean, seriously. Yeah. And, I mean, I, I wasn't sure we'd get out of there alive. So there were those kind of stories. You're right. <laughs> and Fred did, you know, he was in tough places well, and so Slim was basically living in the ghetto at that point. Oh yeah, it was. It was I mean, see, couple. that's interesting, isn't it? it was, I mean, there were different... three families living in the house. Yeah, and that's. And here's a man who was a legend. Right. A buddy guy said he was his biggest influence. Yep, exactly. I mean, so that's how. And he's different... lost to history. And Fred would find these guys, get them back playing, and it was hilarious. I'll tell you one quick story about that. They went <clears throat> down to Chess because those guys a lot of recorded at Chess Records, of course, in the, the Detroit scene, or in the Chicago scene. And Fred was talking about a party they had there, <clears throat> and the Stones showed up <laughs> because the Stones, you know, they loved these guys and knew who well, they yeah, were. They played their Stones because <clears throat> it was Willie Dixon and all these yeah. giants were there. And, <laughs> and they said <laughs> afterwards. The, the, he was talking about Lightning and these other guys talking about them because yeah. they don't know the Stones from right. you know, nobody. Sure. And and he and he, he says I think it was Lightning or the, Lightning's friend says, "Did you see that one guy? Man? He did look just like a girl." <laughs> in fact, I tell you, that time that we got the before the fight, what happened? Fred and I went down, and we were it was a summer night, hot summer night, and we were in, in the hood, and and you know the all the old homes, you know, they got the porch with the three or four steps up to the porch with a screen porch but no screen right mm-hmm. and so we, we just me and fred and and lightning and his friend were sitting there playing and then this other guy comes up younger guy who blew a little harp and and we're just jamming and talking and you know and so they asked me to do something so i just to give you a, a kind of the perspective of the different worlds that there are 
so I did some song, some blues thing or whatever, and and the guy says, his friend says, to later, who does he sound like? He said he he sound like someone. Who he sound like? And the other guy says, Elvis. <laughs> oh yeah, Elvis. Remember he was the paper boy. Wow. <laughs> he was the paper boy. Literally. That's pretty and, and then he says, And then he says, check this. This is what really hit me. He says, he got pretty famous. Right. So that's the, yeah, it's like the, to them. Yeah. Yeah, it's like you were saying with the Stones. Like, it's not their world. So they just don't, it doesn't <laughs> right. really matter. That's to right. them, yeah. Well, it's interesting, too, because, I mean, the Stones, not just the Stones, but Elvis, obviously. I mean, that's where their music came from. Absolutely. That's Elvis, those, for sure. Man. Yeah, that's 100%. What he was doing. Like, it, you know, it's incredible, you know. And they, the guys that knew, knew and revered him and appreciated him. Sure. You know what I mean? But yeah, but it's have... interesting just how different music is. I mean, like, the fact that somebody like Lightning would disappear like that it's almost unheard of now you know you I can't imagine something like that happening where he just kind of you know vanish right. into obscurity well because there's so much money in it now is really what it is yeah and it's different i mean it was real separate markets it was they were, they were what they called race records right you know that was yeah. what that was known as it was the black market what, what eventually was called r&b or yeah. you know that was even even billboard that was separate sure yeah. charts you know that kind of thing and that's the world they're, they're different worlds. He you know, got I don't know the way to say it. You know? <laughs> but we got. <laughs> I mean, that's an accurate statement. He did get pretty famous. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah. But I thought, wow, that's really neat. Because I remember my own dad. My dad was like the mayor of our little town, right? And, and you know, he wasn't out of the loop. I mean, a guy was the mayor, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But I remember talking with him. This would have been in the 60s sometime. And talking about Bob Dylan and and Mick Jagger, and and he said, no, "I never heard of Mick Jagger." He said, "I heard of Bob Dylan, but I never heard of Mick Jagger." Sure, yeah. Makes wasn't sense. part of his world, right? Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. He was running the town, right? Yep. <laughs> he didn't have time to listen to the Stones, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, John, I want to thank you for joining us. I know we had a sure. little little technical difficulties at the beginning of the show, but. Uh, Man, Ian, you're right. We could talk. Yeah, talk. <laughs> I told you. Yeah. So have to have you on again sometime. Uh, but so we'll keep an eye open for that that uh, feature that's coming out <laughs> later in the year. <laughs> You've been watching Fox City's Core on WCZR Code Zero Radio.